Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Alec Russell, the editor of FT Weekend, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. I'm with Rula Kalaf, the deputy editor of the FT, and she's had recently a rather astonishing interview. She met recently Hatice Cengiz, who of course found herself at the center of an international drama, indeed something of a horror story last October. This was when the young Turkish academic was seen waiting outside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul for her fiancé, who never appeared. That man, of course, was the Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, details of whose murder at the hands of Saudi thugs would leak out over the coming days and weeks. So, Rula, just start by telling us, what is the state of the investigation into Khashoggi's death? Well, depends what you mean by investigation and which investigation. In Saudi Arabia, a group of people are being put on trial, but we know very little about this trial. Elsewhere, there has been a UN report by a UN expert on the murder. However, that report does not have any legal basis. It only makes recommendations, and it has recommended an impartial international investigation. For that to happen, however, you would need UN Security Council approval, and I don't expect that. Exactly, because you're touching on the really important point of the sort of fallout of this whole awful saga, namely, it doesn't look as if there are going to be many repercussions for the Saudi regime, does it? And why is that? I think that there were initially some repercussions for the Saudi regime, mainly reputational. A lot of business people and political figures stayed away from Saudi Arabia. There was a big conference that was a flop. But I think over time, things have returned to normal. I don't think the reputation of the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, the man we know as MBS, will ever really fully recover. But I think that once Western governments, and especially the U.S. government, say that doing business with Saudi Arabia is fine. He was, for example, at the G20. In fact, Saudi Arabia is going to be hosting the G20 next year. That is a kind of rehabilitation. Saudi Arabia hosting the G20 next year is stunning, given all that happened. And I imagine particularly appalling news for your lunch companion the other day, Hatis Cengiz, who is campaigning passionately for Khashoggi's murderers to be brought to justice. Here is a clip now. I want to know who gave the order to kill Jamal and who else knew. I want to know where is his body. I implore you to take action. As Agnes has said, it is time for sanctions. So that was Hatice Cengiz speaking at the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva last month. The Agnes she was referring to was Agnes Kalamar, the special rapporteur on extrajudicial killings, who had in fact just revealed the results of this investigation you were talking about, Ruler, which found, quote, credible evidence, close quotes, that senior Saudis were implicated in Mr Khashoggi's murder. But let's turn to Hatice Cengiz. This was a powerful and really poignant interview you had to do, Rula. Tell us what impression did she make? It was obviously a painful interview. It's painful for her to speak about Jamal. But I think she's also now very driven. 
she is so frustrated by the silence. She's so frustrated by the fact that there has been no action that she's now turned this into her mission. Jamal Khashoggi was essentially fighting for human rights. Mm. This is what he was writing about. And she now feels that she has to take up that fight. As I write in my lunch with the FT, she now knows that she is part of the story. She's been studying the Middle East for a long time. And now she feels that she's become one of its victims. And there are so many of them. So she was fighting back tears the whole lunch. And at one point when she tells me about the night when she knew for sure that Jamal was dead, that's when her tears came rushing down. One of the many things that struck me about her account and her conversation with you was how relatively brief had been her relationship with Jamal Khashoggi. I mean, they'd only known each other for a few months. I wonder if you could just say a little bit about how they met and the nature of their relationship. Yes, they only met in May of last year. They met at a conference about the Gulf in Istanbul. Jamal was speaking at that conference and she had only known him as someone who she'd seen on TV. She'd read him. She was very interested in Saudi Arabia and she was very keen to interview him about what was going on in Saudi Arabia, what he was writing about. And so she just goes up to him and introduces herself and says, can we talk? Can you give me a few minutes? And she speaks to him in Arabic because she speaks pretty fluent Arabic. And I think that impresses Jamal. And so they meet up. He asks her about Turkey. She asks him about Saudi. And then she contacts him again to tell him when the story is going to be published and to, I think, check some quotes. Next time he goes to Turkey, they meet up again. But this was a very quick romance in many ways. But from what she told me, this also has to do with the fact that Jamal was in a very uncomfortable place at the time. He was sort of looking for a new life. He'd been exiled in the U.S. He was on his own. So he was looking for a companion and he was very depressed. And I think that they found in each other, you know, the person she understood him, he understood her. And so, yes, this was a marathon romance. When he was murdered, he was writing columns for the Washington Post. But as his then fiancé points out in this interview, he'd actually, in a previous part of his life, he'd been an advisor to some members of the Saudi royal family. Hatice herself says in this interview, in one of the many powerful lines, she says, Jamal was from the palace, not from outside it. He was not their enemy. Can you tell us why were they so frightened of him? Why did they have to kill him? Well, it's a very good question, Alec. I don't think that anyone really knows why they were so frightened of him. But it is also possible that they weren't that frightened of him. They had a strategy of silencing anyone who was critical of the crown prince. Jamal wasn't the only one. Many of Jamal's friends who stayed in Saudi Arabia are in jail. And this new regime in Saudi Arabia requires not only that you don't criticize, they require that you approve. The reason Jamal had left was because he did not want to engage and to support a very hostile strategy towards Qatar. He was required to write in support of the strategy. And that's where he drew the line. And so there is such an intolerance that even someone 
who is only a writer and actually not a writer who's calling for revolution, a writer who wants Saudi Arabia to correct and to move on a better path. I mean, you can even argue that much of what he was writing was advice to the crown prince. But there is zero tolerance. It's not going to be easy for Hatice now, is it? Nearly a year has passed, as you said earlier, for some parts of the sort of Western business and foreign policy establishment. It's not quite business as usual, but they are going to reapply some of those ties to Saudi. What do you see happens to her now? Does she pursue this cause at the UN? How does she make any headway? I found her to be very determined. I think that she wants to use the Kalamar report to try to put pressure on Western governments. But maybe more broadly, she will become a voice that is just fighting for human rights. At some point, I imagine, she would even have to address that in Turkey because, of course, there are a lot of journalists who are jailed in Turkey. For Hatice today, her cause is Jamal. But I think that she may also in the future want to broaden her cause, that it's not Jamal and the truth about Jamal, which I'm sure she will continue to fight for, but that she may very well be a campaigner for human rights. Mm. All this thrust upon her shoulders after just knowing him for a few months. Extraordinary. I think we should end with a clip from Hatice, which is also something of a call to arms from her. And she said this at the UN session in Geneva last month, echoing what she said to you in this remarkable interview. It was not only my beloved Jamal who was murdered that day, but also democracy, human rights and freedoms. The failure to punish Jamal's murderers affects us all. Mr. Chair, the truth always wins. History will take note of those who stood with truth and those who did not. Please take action. Thank you very much, Rula, and thank you all for listening. Please don't forget, you can catch up with any episodes you may have missed on anything from China's dilemma on Hong Kong to even Boris Johnson's Brexit deadline and workplace stress. These are available on all the usual podcast platforms. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.